why do these situations have to be stressful? Why do they have to be a negative experience for the horse? Why do they have to be these traumas? They don't. If you can adequately prepare your horse for um, these moments and these things that are going to happen in your horse's life in a way that makes them a positive experience, then you will have a horse that boldly goes forth and isn't stressed. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Willing Equine Podcast. I'll be recording this episode in my car, so the audio may not be super clear, and sometimes I have my kids with me, so if you hear a little bit from them, I apologize, but hopefully you can still enjoy the podcast. I'd love to hear from you after you listen to the podcast, so feel free to comment on any of my social media platforms or email me or even send me an anchor voice message. So I have a heavy topic I want to talk about today. Um, this, there was a question that was brought up at a recent clinic of mine about training with positive reinforcement and whether or not it was encouraging hypersensitivity in horses or another way of putting that um, is that they weren't as resilient. So positive reinforcement trained horses potentially, the question was, are they potentially less resilient because we... Um, are always looking to reinforce behaviors and we never, you know, put them in stressful situations and all of that. So this is a multifaceted, the, the base, um, I guess to answer this question, there are multiple factors involved. But first, I, I want to talk about stress and specifically the negative kind of stress. So there are different types of stress in our lives. There's a negative kind of stress. So um, an example for humans might be where, you know, there's rush hour traffic, we're late to work. It's like, we're just super stressed. We got to get there. There's a deadline happening. There's um, the kids are screaming in the background. We're late to drop them off at school. I mean, it's just overall just this hectic, crazy, negative, stressful environment. And these situations happen. They happen especially in our modern human world. We're rushed and we have deadlines and we're always trying to cram too much into too small of a space of time. At least I am. So for horses, though, a negative kind of stress might be trailer loading or going in the trailer from point A to point B, whether that's to the vet or a show or something like that. And this, even a horse that's adequately prepared for something like this, it might still be considered a stressful environment for them because there's random noises, it's fast, it's, you know, the trailer rocks back and forth, it's very physically taxing, um, sensory overload, they don't know where they're going, and so on and so forth. So that would be considered a negative kind of stress to the horse. Positive stress, types of stress, is really going to be to the individual. So what I find to be kind of a positive stress versus what you find might be a little bit different. And I think the same thing applies to horses as well. Um, An example of a good kind of stress might be that, um, you know, we're, we love running you know, we love jogging in the morning. We love waking up in the morning and getting that first couple mile run in in the morning, waking ourselves up. Is it physically taxing? Yes. So it stresses our muscles. It stresses our body to a certain degree, but we have actively chosen to participate in that activity. We find enjoyment in it and we are pursuing it. And so we're willingly subjecting our body to that kind of stress and it's a healthy stress because it'll make us stronger, it'll burn calories, it'll get our heart pumping. You know, there's a lot of health benefits to that. And horses, I think it's a little bit this is kind of where it gets a little bit fuzzy because a horse that doesn't have the ability to choose what they want to do versus not, it's it's going to be hard whether to say you're subjecting the horse to a positive stressor or not. You could say like, it's exercise, that's a positive stress. Well, but is the horse actively choosing to participate in this round pinning or, you know, galloping around the racetrack or, um, 
even walk, trot, canter, dressage tests, all of that. Like could, that could be considered like a healthy thing, but the horse isn't necessarily intentionally putting themselves in that situation. They don't have a choice to be there. So we can't say that to the horse, it's a positive kind of stress. That could be a negative stress because they're being pressured into doing something that they didn't necessarily choose to do. So with horses, this is a little bit more delicate and we can't always actually say whether or not it's a positive stressor to the horse. I think some of the best examples I can think of as far as what might be considered a positive stress to a horse might be when they are playing with companions. So bachelor bands, you know, fighting, play fighting or cult play fighting and stuff like that. That's physically active. They're um, biting at each other. They're running around, kicking out all this, but it's play. So it's stressing their bodies in a certain way, but in a good way. They're, that's activity. It's healthy. It's... Um, it's social um, and it builds relationships and they have the choice to participate in that or not. So that would be considered a positive type stressor to that horse. That's an active, they are actively participating in something that's causing stress to their body, but um, it's in a in a good way. It's healthy and it does require physical exertion. It may require even more physical exertion than, you know, asking your horse to walk from the pasture to the barn. But if the horse didn't have the choice to walk from the pasture to the barn and they were pressured into it or punished for not walking there, then that might actually be considered a negative stress to the horse. Whereas play fighting with their companions might cause more physical activity from them, might um, require more energy, might break a sweat faster, might even have some nicks and cuts and bruises, but they had the choice to participate and it was socially enriching and healthy for them. So different types of, I think it really comes down to, I guess I should say, is a positive stress versus a negative stress or I've heard that negative stress would be distress, so D-I-S-T-R-E-S-S, sorry, I'm not the best speller, Um, and I think I'm going to mispronounce this, but eustress, so that would be the positive stressor, and I probably butchered how to say that, but you get the point. There's different types of stress, and I think when I've thought about it a lot, when I have gone and just kind of pulled it apart... A lot of it comes down to whether the subject of the study, so whether it's a horse, a rat, a dog, a human, has the choice in participating in the event. And that there's usually some sort of reinforcer at the end of it. There's something that they enjoy, that they have made that decision to actively participate in that event, even though it was going to cause them some physical strain or mental strain even. But to them, it was worth it. And I think that's one of the key differences here when we're talking about stress, what can make it a good stress or a bad stress. And you can see, though, how this might get really complicated really fast in the horse world because when you're not training with autonomy, it's going to be very hard to say that anything that we require our horses to do or ask our horses to do would fall into a good kind of stress environment or a good kind of stress situation for them. I This isn't to say that we everything that we do with them causes them stress, but I wanted to lay that foundation out there really quickly as we go further through this podcast episode, talking about working with positive reinforcement and getting our horses um, more resilient to possible life situations that would cause negative stress. So I'm going to be specifically talking about the negative kind of stress that a horse might experience in their day-to-day life. They have to get injections from the vet. They have to trailer. They have to uh, stand quietly for the farrier. They have to, um, you know, even some horses are going to be required to do things like, you know, police horses, law enforcement horses are going to experience a lot of stimulation throughout their day. They're going to have noisy crowds. They're going to have cars rushing back and forth. There's going to be sirens, things like that they have to get used to. Uh, For most domestic horses, though, things like going to the showgrounds, going to the vet, going on trail rides, um, leaving herd companions, 
going back and forth from the pasture to the barn, feeding time even. Feeding time can be considered a high-stress moment in a horse's daily life because it's a restricted occurrence, so it only happens once or twice, maybe three times a day. And there's a high-value reinforcer, so the food that isn't available to them on a normal basis. And all of a sudden, this human is walking out, and there's a bunch of other horses, and they're all bickering and fighting for their food. Uh, so this would be considered a negative stress situation that the horse didn't have control over and didn't necessarily choose to put themselves in, but it's the only available moment where that resource, or it's the only moment that that resource is available, so they're kind of subjected to this stressful moment in their day-to-day -day lives. So when we're talking about positive reinforcement, horses trained with positive reinforcement, and I think it can be, I see why, I should say, I see why people might worry that how people, how uh, horse trainers and, and caregivers that want to work with positive reinforcement are being overly sensitive to the horses or are, um, are not creating are not training horses that are resilient or able to cope with day-to-day -day life. And I have some different points I want to address this with. The first one is, is that I don't think that you have to live with stress throughout your day-to-day -day life to be able to cope with stressful events that come up out of the blue. So one of the main arguments is, is that we work so hard to really um, calm our horses' day-to-day -day life, to bring balance to their lives, to unrestrict, so make for free choice feeding or um, lower stress feeding times or making, you know, all these different impossible situations where it, in a traditional boarding facility or traditional training facility, um, these there might be all these stressful moments. We purposely work to avoid those. And specifically, our training is centered around the idea that we want it to be a positive, low-stress experience for the horse. We want them to, to not feel pressured into it in a negative way, and we don't want them to be forced into anything. We want them to be willing participants in the training, and we want them to actively enjoy the training. So we're regularly seeking to lower any, you know, if we start seeing stress signs, if we start seeing displacement behaviors, things like this, we change the training. And so I can see why this might be a, a possible cause for concern for people if they think that, you know, anytime a horse is stressed, we just stop doing that. We don't do it ever again. <laughs> um, and I'm going to get back to that in a second, but I want to talk about how you don't have to be dealing with that kind of training and that kind of environment day in and day out for you to better cope with that type of training and that kind of environment. The, the idea that we have to be living with chronic stress to be able to cope with chronic stress or to, to cope with acute stress is false. Um, I, anybody who has dealt with long-term, drawn-out, day-to-day, stressful lives where every moment of the day is just like this high pressure, um, there seems to never be a relief from that pressure, that everything that you do when you're at work is stressful, you know, you get pressure from your boss, you get pressure from your clients, you get pressure from your coworkers. just everything is seemingly, the world is out to get you all the time. Uh, would probably agree with me that you that they don't necessarily feel any better better equipped to deal with that work environment the next day. If this were the case, every day we showed up to work, we would be better at our jobs and we would feel happier there and we'd be more and more content with our jobs. But usually it's the opposite. Uh, my husband and I both have experienced this as far as the longer that this type of stress drags out. The longer that we're exposed to this day in, day out kind of stress and that, you know, we, we there's stress at home, there's stress at work, there's stress in our family lives, it takes a toll and it really, really just destroys our ability to um, 
properly or not even properly, but health in a healthy way, cope with acute stress. So moments where a little bit of stress comes up that seems like not such a big deal. You know, somebody cuts you in line at the coffee shop. Um, a car cuts you off when you're driving. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you just all of a sudden will just like, it, it just ruins your day. It's like you're sitting there right on the edge and you're always like, okay, I, I've got this, I've got this. You're trying so hard to keep your crap together. Like you're trying so hard. And then one little thing happens and everything's destroyed. Your day's ruined. Everything's ruined. The other side effect is health. Um, I personally have experienced this. I've experienced mental and physical uh, health problems from chronic stress myself and as well as my husband. My husband for a long time was very, very ill. Like he couldn't keep a meal down um, from the chronic stress that he was dealing with at work and in our personal lives. And so it affected his health. Now, both of these things show up in our horses. Our horses that are dealing with chronic stress in their day-to-day -day lives are much more likely to be fragile when a little added stressor inserts into their lives. So they're fine, they're fine, or they appear to be fine. <laughs> they appear to be fine, they appear to be fine, they appear to be fine. Oh my gosh, that rock moved and they lose their mind. Um, or, oh my gosh, that, fl that bag went across the arena and they lose their mind. Or now the vet's here and you know, all of a sudden out of the blue, they start, or the farrier and they kick out. Like they, it's not that these horses are lashing out out of the blue. It's that they are no longer able to cope with normal day-to-day -day little stressors. And they start to, um, it, it, or there's the, all those mild stressors that are happening throughout the day, mild to moderate or even severe that they are quote unquote coping with. And then one little thing gets added on top of it and they just fall apart. And we also see this in health with horses too, ulcers, um, inability to maintain weight or, um, just lack of thriving. I see this a lot in horses. Um, they just, or depressed immune systems, they get sick easier, they're more susceptible to neurological conditions, things like that. Now, obviously, talk to your vets about any of these things that I'm talking about that might be medical or health-wise. I'm not a licensed veterinarian. I have a lot of experience in dealing with health issues that have stemmed from lifestyle and training issues. But again, I'm just going to I have to put that disclaimer out there that I'm not a vet, so please talk to your vet. But I wanted to show you that these things directly correlate, that the chronic stress that a horse is dealing with in their day-to-day -day lives can affect their response to training, can affect their health, can affect their ability to cope with something that might be slightly frightening um, versus a horse that has been actively living a life that is more peaceful and more... Um, catered, not catered, but created for a horse in particular. Horses are very sensitive and peaceful and energy conserving species. So they enjoy being in a social environment with other horses. They enjoy a stable herd environment. So being with their own herd companions day in and day out, free roaming over large areas without restricted food resources. So they get to graze at their feet. They don't have meals, <laughs> multiple times a day and then nothing in between or even just meals period there in the wild there's no such thing as meals so that's a foreign concept to the species that we've kind of conditioned them to expect um different even other i've noticed other things start to show up so i had one client where her horse um lives close to a music venue and that was creating a lot of stress outside of training that was affecting the horse's health and training ability or the ability to um to respond well to training because he was being constantly exposed to chaos in his day-to-day -day life and then when the owner was there for just an hour it was like why can't you focus? You know, why aren't you, you know, why aren't we doing well health wise, you know, all this stuff, but we forget about the other 23 hours that a horse lives throughout the day when we're not there. So all is that to say, and I could go on and on and on about this particular topic is, is the intentional de-stressing, negative stressing of our horse's day-to-day -day life is not 
going to create a less resilient horse. In fact, I would argue the opposite, that your horse will become more resilient to acute stressors because they are not having to deal with an underlying you know, moderate to severe, like chronic stress in their day-to-day life. And so they're not always on edge. Now, the next point is going to, you know, dovetail off of that and it's going to directly correlate, which is that we can prepare our horses in a way that is not a negatively acutely stressful for potential acutely stressful situations in the future. And we, and the way we do this, well, so basically we can, the long and short of it is, is that there are a lot of situations in our horse's lives, like going to the vet, dealing with the farrier, getting feed, you know, feeding times, um, going on trail rides, separating from the herd, all of these different situations that might show up in the day-to-day life that we know are going to happen. Like we just know it. This is the domestic horse's life. We can help our horses deal with these situations, these potentially negative stress situations by making them not negative and stressful by making them a positive experience for the horse, by preparing them in a way that makes them fun and exciting. I mean, farrier time, getting their feet trimmed should be like, yes, it's farrier time. Like, this is awesome. Going to the vet should be an adventure. It should be so much fun to load up into the trailer, getting to go down the road, going to the vet, getting to meet new people, getting lots of cookies. I mean, why does this have why do these situations have to be stressful? Why do they have to be a negative experience for the horse? Why do they have to be these traumas? They don't. If you can adequately prepare your horse for um, these moments and these things that are going to happen in your horse's life in a way that makes them a positive experience, then you will have a horse that boldly goes forth and isn't stressed. So they are so confident and that every life experience is going to be fantastic. Why would they ever expect anything else? So these weird situations like where an umbrella pops open or a balloon pops or a bag flies by, you can do those too in a positive way. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that I'm specifically talking about working in a systematic desensitization way. So I call this exposure training with positive reinforcement, or I should say systematic desensitizing with positive reinforcement and classical conditioning. And I personally call this exposure training. So I expose my horses to a lot. Like my horses are exposed to a lot. I travel with them. I take them out one at a time. I throw novel things into the pasture. I, my kids running around screaming all the time, um, you know, out of joy, not sadness, you know, cause my kids are never unhappy. <laughs> um, there's there's clients there's um, barking dogs there's oh there's and I mean my horses have feeding schedules so I do feed them in concentrated meals I mean there's I do all of this stuff too I'm not saying that this you shouldn't ever do any of this stuff I'm saying you should do it but in a different way and I do this through a systematic approach and I make it a positive experience for them. I started them off where I introduced this thing that could potentially be a little bit scary in such a low level that the horse is like, oh, what's that? And I reward them. And I'm like, yes, I'm rewarding your curiosity and your boldness. And then we start increasing whatever it is that's scary. And I continue to reward that calmness and the curiosity and the boldness, um, This has actually been so successful for horses that I've actually had the opposite problem where one of my horses in particular, I've had this happen a couple times, but one in particular because I raised her this way. I have to have cues. I have to have had to establish a really, really, really solid whoa cue, so a stop cue, um, because she will just, like, if something is scary to her, that's something that probably should be scary or she should be worried about that she doesn't know to be worried about because she's just been taught that everything that's potentially scary is a fun, exciting new activity. Um, she will put herself in a potentially very dangerous situation. So I have to, I've had to establish a like, stop, like leave it. Don't do that because out of trying to keep her safe. Uh, so I've had to do kind of the opposite where, um, where 
I've so been so successful in kind of undoing her natural you know, that instinctive, like run when something scares me that I've had to create like a stop, like stop, stop going towards that, stop investigating it. And I make that a positive experience for it too. So I do want to kind of throw that out there that if you're really successful with this, which most horses I haven't had had such a strong flip side response to it. Most of them still have a healthy sense of like, I'm not sure about this. And they'll pause for a second and then they'll go towards it. Uh, So that's not a normal problem I've run into, but I just want to put that out there that you might have to establish the opposite (laughs) behavior of go towards it, which is to stop or come back. You can have like a recall. So bringing it back before going off on too big of a bunny trail, um, We can specifically prepare our horses for life and potentially negative stressful situations through a um, a proactive approach of making potentially stressful situations positive for them. So point number three I want to make is that I think that especially people still transitioning over from the traditional world or still active in traditional training. And even maybe people that are still newer to working with positive reinforcement and are just not as confident in its results yet or haven't had enough experience yet. Um, I think it can be easy to, to look at horses that have been trained traditionally and say, and, and then look at how we train positive reinforcement horses and, and, um, or remember how it used to be like when, when you used to just like get over it horse, like let's keep going, you know, when, when it used to just not be a big deal, like, and we weren't looking for all the quote unquote calming signals or stress signs and displacement behaviors. Um, and we were just doing life. We were just going along and if they spooked, we dealt with it and we just went along it can be easy to look back and say, well, my horse has never used to be this stressed or they never used to be this sensitive or whatever. And so now my horses are just, I don't get it. Like now all of a sudden stuff I used to be able to do, I can't do anymore. And there's actually kind of two sub points that are going to go with this. One is, is all of those horses, one of two things was happening. They were either shut down and didn't know, well, I guess actually probably three things. So One, they were either shut down and just had learned to like tune out the world and I better just keep going and whatever, if I die, I die kind of thing. Like they literally were more afraid of the consequences and the added pressure that would be applied from the human and the punishment if they were to spook than the things that they were scared of that they just stopped ever showing that they were scared, but this didn't mean, doesn't mean that they are not, they weren't scared, that they are not worried. As soon as that human is removed, as soon as the threat of a punisher or pressure was removed, as soon as all of a sudden there was no consequences for being spooked, they were likely to spook. Now I will say though, that sometimes that learned helplessness state does roll over in their living life. So they, how they just do their day-to-day life, they tend to be very robotic and dead. This is kind of where the idea of the dead broke horse came from, which is not a term I like to use or promote. I don't promote dead broke horses. I promote confident and, um, willing (laughs) horses. And so that idea really came from that where the horse was so literally broken. The horse was so broken that they just didn't respond to the world include, and they would only learn to respond to the human. So anything the human said they would do, but other than that, they were just dead. So I, it's, I, I bring that up because I don't want you comparing your, or you can, you can compare all you want your horse, your current horse, the one that you're training with positive reinforcement and all that with that dead broke horse. But I want you to see it for what it is that a horse, those horses were literally dead inside. <laughs> they were, they were had so tuned out life that they were just dead versus what I would like you to create. And what I personally want to encourage, which is a very alive horse, a horse that is so alive but is also very confident and calm and willing in the training. And they are just, they are your active partners. They are active partners. They are not dead partners (laughs) or just completely suppressed partners. 
or tools or equipment or, you know, any of that. So, or machines. Um, so that's one. Two is that when you start transitioning over to working with positive reinforcement, it's often very closely linked with the new findings of what it looks like to see a stressed horse, the awareness of what learned helplessness is, the awareness of displacement behaviors and, you know, calming signals and all of that. So we start to actually see things for what they are versus before we were kind of just blind to it. So it's not that our horses all of a sudden are more sensitive. It's that now we can see that they're sensitive. So all the horses have always been sensitive. They've all been this way, but now you can see it. Now you can understand. And we're not everybody, but a lot of people that train with positive reinforcement or at least an ethically minded approach. So it's not just about the positive reinforcement. And I tell this over and over again, because positive reinforcement is just a form of operant conditioning. It can be used in an unethical way. Like positive reinforcement, absolutely 100% can be used in a way that I would argue is completely unethical. So positive reinforcement does not equal ethical horsemanship or ethical treatment of horses. That's something that just happens to kind of come along with training this way. We just become more aware. We become more, we, in, in our effort to train in a more positive way and want our horses to be happy and willing in the training, we also tend to catch on to things like learning about displacement behaviors and learning about, you know, removing chronic stresses from our horse's daily lives and trying to live and help them live a more natural lifestyle, provide them with more enrichment, um, autonomy and consent based training. So all of this other stuff is actually outside of pure operant conditioning, positive reinforcement, but they tend to kind of link up and a lot of people pick up everything at the same time or gradually over time. So just didn't even see it. You didn't even recognize it. And you used whatever method to get them through it. And you just dealt with it. Um, but now, or you only saw when they exploded, you know, like you ignored the, the licking and the chewing and the, in the whale, the whites of the eye and the head turns and the, you know, sniffing the ground. You used to think that that was just looking for grass. Um, that stuff is new to you. And so you're now starting to see much earlier on when your horse is stressed, where they were likely showing all those behaviors before, unless they were in a state of learned helplessness, which sometimes means that they don't show all those signs, um, that you didn't see that stuff before, but it's, it's always been there. Um, and then I think I had a third point I wanted to add into this, but Oh, the third point is that I think, and it really is basically the second point, just kind of longer, um, is that we also have a new mentality towards our relationships with our horses oftentimes. So there's a lot of things that because we want it to be a positive experience for them, because we want them to be willing participants, that we won't intentionally push them through it. Um, so it's point two is about recognizing when your horse was experiencing stress. But I think point three is about our goals change. So at least for me, this did, they did. Um, whereas I used to have the goals to show one of my horses and even early on with positive reinforcement training, I was really determined to get her to the showgrounds because I wanted to showcase how this was possible. Um, but that's changed over time. It's not to say that I won't show because I really do would like to get back into the show grounds. And I think with my young horses coming up that they will, um, be much more willing in that endeavor. But for this other horse that I really wanted to show because she's beautiful under saddle and her, she'd do so well in Western dressage or ranch riding. Um, she, is so sensitive to pressure and to loss of control and um, into new environments and such that it, I, I've lost the interest of pushing her into those situations. I think I could prepare her for it if I was day in, day out working for it, but I don't know that I really care to do that with her in particular. It's not to say that I can't do it. I just don't know that I want to anymore. So 
if it's not something that I feel like she's really built to do, that she's not really prone to, it's not going to be easy for her. Um, you know, if she were my only horse, I might be more inclined. And there's nothing to say that there's wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Like wanting to build that positive experience and build up because, and I have works on it because I want her to be confident when we go to the vet and I want her to be confident when we go on a trail ride. But I don't know that there's any point in subjecting her to a high stress show environment. Um, so that, that's the third part is that a lot of people who have transitioned over to positive reinforcement develop that same mindset of, why are we doing this to the horses? Like, can't we just enjoy our horses, enjoy what they enjoy, which is living in the herd life and work, you know, being at home and stability and consistency and, um, and every horse is very different. So some horses really do enjoy traveling and they really do enjoy going out on trail rides. And some horses I'm convinced really do like to go and kind of show off and like not show off. Cause I don't think they understand the, the concept of showing off, but I think they like to, or they may learn to enjoy going from place to place and, and showcasing their behaviors because probably they get higher value reinforcers or um, they enjoy the social and relationship that comes with it. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but I do think that there are some horses that might enjoy that. Uh, I just would say that I don't think it's as many as we want it to be. So that's kind of the third point there. And then I mentioned about the chronic stress versus the acute stress and then the tolerance for it. So experiencing chronic stress throughout your day does not necessarily equal being able to cope with acute stress. So those situations that show up in life where, you know, just something happens that the something comes out of the blue, like a bag flies across the arena or a dog starts barking or a kid starts screaming, um, your horse being exposed to stress all day long and the training being a also a form of stress so if we're if we are training in such a way where we are applying pressure for this we're applying pressure for that and this is aversive pressure remember so the way negative reinforcement works is applying an aversive pressure it could just be as mild as just it's annoying it's obnoxious they don't even they just are like okay that's annoying and they move forward you know and you release your leg pressure so it doesn't have to be this it's not abuse it's not this crazy thing it's not you're not torturing your horse i am not even saying that i don't use it but we have to recognize it for what it is so if all of our training is based around that, we're pressuring this, we're pressuring that, we're pressuring this, we're pressuring that, where is, you know, the horse is constantly being exposed to when they're interacting with us. It's like, okay. And also when you add in punishment, especially it's don't do this. And then I'm going to pressure you to do this. I'm going to pressure you to do that. And then don't do that. And then don't do that. And I'm going to pressure you to do this. And I'm going to pressure you to do that. Like if that's how your horse is living, it's relationship with you and throughout its day to day life and it's training, uh, yeah, they're on edge. They're about to lose it. They're gonna. I would if somebody was sitting there nagging me all the time. And I know nagging and and a lot of traditional training. It's it's been thought of as like you ask once, then you may ask a little bit firmer the next time, and then you like bring the hammer down, right? So don't nag. Like don't pressure, 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 pressure. Like they're talking with, and what they mean by that is like don't continue to use the same pressure. They're talking about escalation very quickly and resulting in possibly what could be argued as a positive punishment. So an application of a punisher for a lack of, um, for a lack of response. So, but I would argue that the constant use of negative reinforcement and pressure here and pressure there, pressure here, depending on how it's used and its skill and the horse's responsiveness to it. And, um, if there's no positive reinforcement and there's no, and this is ongoing and it's regular and consistent, this is how most of the training has been, that the horses are kind of living a, a, um, a nagging type of, a nagging and a punishment type of, um, relationship with you that they're, that they don't always, they're constantly looking for relief, right? So they're really, they're looking, okay, I don't do that. Cause that doesn't give me relief. So, okay. If I do this, I get relief. Okay. Now she wants me to do this. Okay. There I got relief. Now I, so they're constantly looking for relief from you. So 
or from their environment or from just I don't know it's just like it's constant it's constant it's everywhere and it puts them under a lot of negative stress as they're constantly trying to look from a relief from an aversive or avoid a punisher so short of very very skilled training where there's there's positive reinforcement added into that there's something to be said for that the horse is experienced that is part of their chronic stress that they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis and it could be adding to this idea that horses are so spooky that they're so sensitive that they're um constantly you know on edge or um looking for the next thing to spook at it's because they're they're just living that life where it's like the next little thing that is wrong (laughs) is gonna set them off so I don't know where I was going with that oh yes I have one last point that I just thought of and really I should write down notes for these podcasts but I just don't I don't think ahead I just start talking and this is gonna be one of my longest podcast episodes so I'm sorry but last point (laughs) With positive reinforcement, you can absolutely create ways to help your horse cope with acute stress. So I do this through, or I would say most people probably do this through creating a strong reinforcement history for certain behaviors. So we can interrupt, we can interrupt flight and fight responses. We can interrupt um, spooking and them getting nervous and anxious by offering them an opportunity to do something that is self-calming and also reinforcing. So if they're worried about the dog that's barking over there, we can say, here, target my hand. Now continue to target. Now can you drop your head on cue? Okay, so lowering the head helps calm the nervous system and it simulates grazing. And targeting focuses the mind on a positive thing, something that is going to be reinforced. It's not dangerous. It's not scary. It's soothing. So I call these um, self-soothing behaviors. So I teach um, coping behaviors where I can use them and I, I create them specifically to be easy to use. So I will teach them to target an actual long stick target but I don't always have my target on me so I also teach them to target a closed fist and I can use this in a situation where I'm leading my horse and all of a sudden a bag flies across the street and my horse's head goes straight up in the air instead of forcing them to continue walking or asking them to back up or sending them in a circle or or just pressuring them into keeping going I can say okay I recognize your stress can you target my hand once twice maybe three times all right now I've noticed that you've calmed down a little bit let's proceed forward and walk on, on walking out to the pasture So I can use these specific skills to bring my horse's mind back to our interaction and what I'm asking them to do. And I can avoid pressuring them past a fear response, which is huge because if you have a horse that's already sitting at their threshold, that they're already just like, what was that? And then you add an aversive or a pressure on top of that, you're likely to throw them well over their threshold and cause that fight flight response. So, or, you know, anyway, so you're likely to cause them to spook then at that point or to get more worked up or more anxious. It's much better to allow them to just freeze or um, just stand there quietly investigating and then offer them the opportunity to do something that is reinforcing for them or calming for them to refocus, bring their mind back, bring them, you know, um, back centered and focused and then ask them to do what you wanted them to do. And that way you're not as likely to trigger that bigger response and to make the situation much worse, which could going a little bit deeper into it, cause a stronger fear response to whatever spooked them in the first place the next time because we said um, we added something negative on top of the already present fear and that could condition a stronger fear response in the future. Anyway, so creating coping mechanisms, creating um, positive behaviors that are low stress or that are not pressured at all that the horse has an option to do. So I'm not talking about pulling your horse's head down. I'm talking about a positive reinforcement trained behavior where I cue a head down um, by saying down or head, or I could even touch a certain spot, or I just kind of put my hand over the top of the head, but I don't actually touch it. And I just briefly hold it there for a second. That's my cue. And if they don't drop it, I move my hand away. I'll wait a second, try something else, then cue it again. So I'm not pressuring them into dropping their hand ahead. I'm just 
cueing it through from their positive reinforcement training and then they'll do it maybe just a little bit. I'll click and reinforce that and they'll do it again, click and reinforce that. I'll also just feed them. So you can stimulate that rest and digest format or um, the rest and digest stage of their um, nervous system by feeding so getting them to eat sometimes a horse that's really spooked or stressed won't eat but if you can get them to start eating then you can help them calm down because they're eating okay we're chewing we're we're calming down i i joke all the time that um horses are uh they eat their emotions so they're stress eaters uh, and it's absolutely who i am too and absolutely they are they are stress eaters they do eat their emotions they need that they need to help that's something that they do to help calm themselves down so you can absolutely just start like get your hay pellets out and start giving them pellets to start um or give them some grass off the ground or something like that to get them to start eating to get them to like okay okay start eating calming deep breaths all right back so anyway i have a lot of other things that i'll do to encourage a horse to calm back down but just because um you're working with positive reinforcement doesn't mean you can't help a horse through a spook. So I think that's another big kind of idea that has floated around. It's like, oh, you have to wait for them to calm down and then you click and reinforce and then, okay. But then you, what happens if you're, you know, your dog is attacking somebody, you have to wait for them to stop attacking and then you have to, then you click and give them food. And that's absolutely not what we do um, for horses too. We can interrupt the behavior. We can cue known behaviors. And also if you're wondering more about that, wondering more what to do once your horse starts like losing it, like truly losing it. Um, I have a podcast episode called damage control and listen to that one to, cause that correlates more closely to the idea of like the dog is attacking somebody and we have to wait for them to stop attacking before we click and reinforce. Um, so for horses, that's like my horse is running, you know, crazy around the arena. Like, do we just have to wait till they stop and then we click? Like, so listen to that episode to learn more about that. Uh, it's called damage control, but hopefully this episode, as much as it was kind of all over the place was helpful in talking about how working with positive reinforcement doesn't encourage horses that are more sensitive. It, it can create, in fact, the opposite, bolder, more confident horses. I would argue horses that have choice and that have, um, the that have coping mechanisms in place that they have a strong reinforcement history that they have been taught that life is their oyster that they that everything is every potentially new environment or new object is a way of um has a potential for a positive encounter so like being reinforced for it or getting engaged or a positive engagement with it is um is a way to create a more confident and more resilient horse, a horse that is way less spooky, that is safer to handle, safer to be around. And, you know, you can do things. You can purposely simulate situations as far as, like, put something unique out in the pasture and, and click and reward your horse for in interacting with it um, or not even clicking. You can just feed them for interacting with something um, using classical conditioning or um, you can... Anyway, there's a lot more to this and I'm just gonna, I could keep talking on and on forever, but um, the key here is that you have to prepare for it. Just like with any other type of training, just like with any traditional training, any natural horsemanship training, any, any training that's out there, I'm talking about anything, you have to be proactive. You have to prepare your horse to a certain degree and you have to set a strong reinforcement history with your horse so that they know that life is fun, that all of these different potential scary situations are going to be exciting and reinforcing. And, um, yeah, so, and definitely prepare those behaviors that you could use in those stressful situations and really look at your horse's life, their day-to-day -day life. Are they dealing with a lot of stress? Are they dealing with so much stress that even the littlest thing is going to set them off? And real quick, before I end this episode, I want to point out that a horse that has been through a lot of trauma and who has dealt with chronic stress throughout the majority of their life or even for just an extended period, 
their ability to cope with stress is severely compromised. And so the recovery for that is long. <laughs> and for any type of training, it's long. Um, they have to rebuild their resiliency and they have to rebuild their health and they have to learn that um, that life is going to be okay. Uh, so be patient. It doesn't, it's not always the same road for every horse. Some horses it takes, you know, a couple days <laughs> to get more confident. That's fast, but you know, it's possible. And some horses it's going to take years. Uh, horses with a lot of trauma, horses that have baggage and baggage uh, takes just takes a lot longer because you're rebuilding their trust in you you're rebuilding their trust in life you're rebuilding their health that's the long that's a big part of it you're rebuilding their you know their ability to um, recover from stressful events that's the big part of it is they get stressed and then they stay stressed and so their ability to come back down to self-regulate to level out again is severely compromised after dealing with trauma and long chronic stress so um, yeah so be patient with your horse they're an individual this is just kind of a I'm just talking about generalities here um, and I want you to know that just because it's not working like right this second like as far as your horses and all of a sudden just this confident horse or that just because they used to be able to do things but they don't seem to be able to do them now is not a reflection on the effectiveness of the training but if you need help in any way or you're not sure if you're doing the right thing or if you're helping your horse feel free to reach out to me I have consultation services that I offer uh, via my website and I'd be happy to help you um, kind of just look at different options and watch you working with your horse um, seeing their you know their spooking or their nervousness and I'd be happy to help you with that and help you um, look at different areas of their day-to-day -day lives that we can maybe improve on to help with the training so that's absolutely an option and so yeah I hope this was really helpful Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more, head to my website, thewillingequine.com. On there, I have a really extensive blog. I'm a very prolific writer. And I also have a an FAQ page. And the FAQ has all kinds of things. It has questions and answers about training and about my training specifically, as well as just general about working with positive reinforcement. There's also sections on there about health and um, behavior, so all of that. I'm also on a lot of different social media platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, so check those out. And I'd love to hear from you, so don't hesitate to email or send me a message.